As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsign with you. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. And we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoyed our podcast last week where uh, we put together a bunch of thankful thoughts from people around the Blue Jackets and around uh, hockey. Um, we have a, uh, we're going to change gears again on you this week with a, an informative one. Our guest today is Mark Cameron. He is an associate professor in the Department of Population and Quantitative Health Sciences at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. Uh, if that name, that title sounds familiar, it's because Cameron has been quoted numerous times in numerous outlets and is perhaps, perhaps because he's been a guest on this program previously. We last spoke on May 29th, just a few days after the NHL announced plans to set up two bubble locations to play the remainder of the 2019-20 season. It worked very well. It allowed the league uh, to award the Stanley Cup to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Of course, the Blue Jackets played in the bubble uh, and lasted uh, two rounds before they exited to the Lightning. Dr. Cameron's back with us now after five months, uh, and the league is again looking for a way to start playing games again. Only now they're trying to start the 2021 season, which is already two months delayed. We want to explore the challenges now, given the recent explosion of cases in this country, and we want to discuss what we've learned about the virus since we last discussed it. Uh, is, is a person immune after contracting and surviving the virus? How soon could vaccines be available to the mass population uh, such that a large crowd could safely gather in indoor buildings? That's, of course, what the NHL would require. We'll get into all of that and much, much more in the next little while. Dr. Cameron, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for welcoming back. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you again about this. Excellent. Now, on the day we last spoke on this podcast, 
May 29th, and I looked this up. I, I, I promise you I don't have it memorized. Uh, there were 651 new COVID cases in Ohio. Uh, this is Thursday, December 3rd. So with yesterday's numbers, Wednesday, there were over 9,000 new cases. Uh, that's obviously quite a, an exponential growth. Yeah. If the NHL deemed it necessary to play in a bubble back then, what should they be looking at now? now? This is just Ohio. Those are just Ohio numbers. This league is obviously bigger than Ohio, uh, and it's different in different cities. And really, it's different in Canada than it is in the U.S., but I think it's safe to say that the numbers are significantly higher everywhere. What challenges does this league face now? Yeah, so we are um, indeed in a very, very challenging phase of this pandemic. Um, as you say, the last time we spoke, um, which was uh, somewhat before our uh, second uh, wave uh, even started. Um, and that wave, uh, which went through the summer, uh, peaked at uh, twice the uh, number of daily new cases um, than our uh, April-May uh, peak. So even when we were last uh, speaking, um, there was worse ahead of us um, than what was behind us. Now, where are we now? Um, we did deal with our second surge, uh, both nationally and in Ohio. In Ohio, uh, we managed to um, right the ship and uh, get past our second peak, mainly by mask mandates and um, a reinvigoration of the precautions that we were taking. Um, however, by uh, September, as we went back to some other type of activities, most notably um, back to university campuses, um, back to schools, um, back to other uh, forms of business, um, we invited this third surge um, that we're experiencing right now. And it is especially um, bad because the timing was perfect um, alongside the normal start of the cold and flu season, which is predictably upon us um, in October each and every year. So where are we today? We haven't even um, had signs of a peak uh, for this third surge, whether we're talking in Ohio or nationally. And we are beyond, you know, four or five, six times uh, the peak uh, that we had um, over the summer. So what does that mean uh, to a national league, um, whether it's the NHL or uh something like the MLS, who is um, trying to uh, implement their uh, uh, post-season um, plan. Well, the virus is in our communities more than it ever has been. Um, and the leagues have to take that into consideration, as well as the uh, infection mitigation within the teams, um, and how that uh, interplay between team um, delegate, delegates um, the uh, fans and the community uh, surrounding each and every one, um, they have to consider all of those uh, aspects of safety during this pandemic. And the choices we might have had um, back when we first talked and the NHL entered their bubble, or even earlier in the fall, uh, in terms of how we can 
return to play uh, safely and limit the number of cases that might be caused therein. Um, right now, all of those are off the table. We are in a very dangerous uh, part of this pandemic and that has to be included in everyone's plan, whether it's a national sports league or um, you know, something more locally or statewide. Now, there was some mystery early on in this nightmare as to whether or not the body created antibodies after contracting this virus. What have we learned about that? Does the body fight this a second time? How long does it fight it? And I ask this question because I think, A, that goes, that it goes to how many people would need to get the vaccine, and B, how long-term effect of the vaccine may be. Is it going to be like the flu shot where it's required every year based upon the anticipated strain? Do we know what the, what the body does in terms of antibodies to fight future infections of the same COVID-19? Well, we have learned uh, two things. Um, first of all, um, we have learned that we have a lot to learn and we have a lot to learn still about this virus, its behavior, and how we can um, control it, uh, treat people, and prevent uh, future um, outbreaks or surges. The second thing we've learned about this virus is the exception is the rule. Um, so the traditional sense of um, immunology and uh, infection versus immunity and vaccination, all of those uh, traditional um, thoughts on how we can gain protection against a virus, whether we get the virus and are immune to it afterwards, or we are vaccinated against it and we don't get it in the first place, all of those lessons have gone out the window. First of all, um, people that get the natural infection, they don't show very good antibody levels after clearing the virus. Um, so the way that we see it right now is people who get COVID-19 and recover are not immune necessarily to the virus if they get exposed again, or they might have partial immunity only. What does that mean? Well, it means that somebody who gets COVID today and recovers can't count on not getting infected if they are exposed again. So that's one important lesson which has uh, surprised us. Second of all, um, the vaccines, well, they're brand new. Um, they've been uh, luckily proven very safe in phase three clinical trials. They've been proven very effective as well in preventing new infections, especially severe infections. But because of what I said earlier about this virus not giving us good immunity in the long run, the vaccine may not give us good immunity in the long run, whether that's months or years. So in terms of how we look at this in the future, um, we're gonna have to continue to study it. We're gonna have to continue to modify our plans and our knowledge about this virus. We may have to take um, boosters regularly uh, for the vaccine to maintain um, immunity over time until this virus's back is broken and it's gone out of our population. Or the people who are infected and get better 
will also have to take that vaccine and be uh, still diligent about the precautions they're taking to prevent transmission in amongst us because we may become infected again. So these are very different qualities uh, for a pandemic a virus of this nature. And they're gonna have to be built into all of these uh, plans, again, whether a national sports league or something more local from your public health uh, department. This is going to be a challenge to all of those organizations uh, because they're gonna to have to be flexible as we learn more about this virus and how to protect ourselves. Wow. Dr. Cameron, and I imagine this is probably an evolving story for you as well, but you know, there, there has been some discussion that obviously people are recovering from their experience with the virus. Often people who are quote unquote younger or healthier seem to have an edge sometimes, but we're also seeing work that reveals possible long-term effects. And when we think about athletes, you know, that can be the difference in having a job that you've worked your whole life to have or, or not. What can you share with us about what you're learning about the long-term effects of this virus even if someone survives their, their experience with it, what, what do they have to be worried about after that? Yes, this is a uh, risk or a risk factor um, that has to uh, be discussed and be built into these uh, plans. The players themselves may be at risk for long-term uh, impact of this infection, uh, whether it's in their uh, respiratory uh, function or their uh, cardiovascular function or something as simple as, you know, after a, a, a bad illness, a bad flu, a more severe uh, course of COVID-19, uh, things like muscle aches, um, lethargy, um, exhaustion, um, those symptoms um, are quite common and they can last for weeks afterwards. And then there's the idea of a long hauler uh, type of patient post COVID um, who can uh, experience uh, these um, issues um, in their health and fitness uh, for quite a while, um, even months. And, you know, we're not uh, enough into this um, pandemic and its impacts on people long-term to really know or to advise uh, on what could happen even in young, healthy individuals. So there's a lot of concern, um, not only for you know, athletes and um, uh, persons returning to play, um, whether a varsity, junior, uh, high school, middle school, or national league, um, it's also, uh, what you're uh, bringing in terms of additional uh, risk across um, what might be uh, months of uh, post-play or post-illness um, impact to that particular person. Uh, so all of these uh, unknowns, all of these serious impacts of this infection are certainly at the uh, forefront of public health um, advisors and advisories uh, for the general public, um, but also have to factor into uh, how uh, a league like the NHL um, returns to play and what uh, acceptable levels of risk are included for the managers in the league, but also the players. I know the players are very aware 
uh, of, of, of that type of interplay between the host, us, and the virus um, infecting us. Sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I, I think one of the, you talk about interplay, I think one of the most interesting maybe revelations, hopefully to so many people, is making decisions about how to handle this pandemic demands an intersection of economics, yeah. of ethics, and of health concerns. And and you hear some of this sometimes when we hear about sports returning and is it the right thing to do, quote unquote, to have testing resources go towards the athletes or, again, the economic boost of having professional sports return to play and how much that trickles down to so many businesses. Yeah. What can you share maybe about that thought process or or if you do have thoughts on how we appropriately weigh the economic benefits of bringing back a sport and dedicating resources that can help so many to athletes and to to this part of our business world. Right. You know, so uh, you'll know from our last discussion and and, and some of um, my other interviews that um, I've been generally uh, supportive of um, well-conceived, well-monitored, flexible, return to play plans. Um, The way that some of those plans have played out um, at this point, some six to eight months later in some of these cases, now gives us a um, body of evidence on how each plan has gone since, um, the number of cases that have um, arisen, the best ways to prevent uh, infections uh, within the leagues and how to uh, learn from uh, the mistakes. Now, if we talked several months ago um, after that um, second surge, you know, there were more options left on the table. Okay, we know that masks work. Um, We know that um, bubble Uh, organization surrounding a league or a season uh, works. Um, But we also know that each return to play plan, whether it's bubble or not, um, whether there's um, testing programs and flexible ways of dealing with infections that pop up within a team or an organization, we also know that each plan or return to play causes infections. That's been the constant. Each return to play plan, no matter how it's conceived and devised, has caused 
new infections. Now with the NHL going into their uh, their their hub type bubbles, uh, playing uh, last uh, season out that way, um, there were uh, infections as the teams prepared to go into the bubbles. Um, but then once they did test and get into the bubbles, um, the rest of the season played out um, with uh, little risk of infection. Um, same with the MLS plan, uh, same with the NBA plan. Those bubble plans did work once the initial uh, cases were cleared within that bubble. Um, on the other hand, you know, the NFL has had these waves of cases um, make it into their teams, uh, spread within the delegations, and travel with them uh, when they've traveled uh, to uh, compete with other teams. The only uh, thing that has been able to mitigate those outbreaks within a team is absolute flexibility in either canceling or rescheduling um, the games and really putting uh, either teams or series on pause. So we now know um, that, you know, a bubble plan works. Can we bring that into, uh, you know, the, the next NHL uh, season? We now know um, how to test and recognize and the limitations of that, the, that testing program in terms of stopping um, infections at their source be before they spread further in the teams. Um, but still we're on this backdrop that where we have to also consider where we're playing, the communities and the cities uh, that these games will be uh, played because the virus is at, well, there are two different ways of looking at it. If you're looking at the community, um, the positive test rate in some states uh, could be as high as one in 10 individuals who get a test for some reason are positive. So the virus is out there in the community at very high levels. If you're just you know looking at people randomly in the few surveillance type of studies that's been, that's been done, it's somewhere between one in 100 to one in 200 uh, individuals are carrying the virus, whether they know it or not. So the bubble plan is really the best way to go forward. But right now, the uh, fact that we are in this level of surge, um, really what I've been um, on my soapbox about mostly is, you know, develop these plans, um, get them in place. But for right now, the biggest question is, when do you restart the seasons? Because that really is um, the, uh, the crux of the matter. The, the flexibility of the start date is the biggest consideration right now. Um, Doc, the, the NFL has, has uh, and really college football too, have really teetered uh, some weeks, cancellations uh, in, the, in the college ranks, postponements a lot in the, in the uh, pro ranks. Um, and, and this is mostly, from what I can tell, players getting it from teammates for in the in their facility mm -hmm. do we do we know it, can this be I, I know that masks are not foolproof they certainly dramatically help but can you share this with sweat can you share this with with um 
because uh, hockey players running into each other, colliding, yeah. uh, fighting, whatever, there's going to be a swapping of sweat if there's not a swapping of saliva. Yeah. How else can, can you get it through those means? And is just the act of playing football or playing hockey um, that has to, I'm, I'm guessing if, if we're supposed to keep six feet away from, from people literally running into people with great frequency has to just send the likelihood of transfer skyrocketing. Is that correct? Right. So, um, you know, first of all, the um, SARS coronavirus um, is uh, spread by the uh, respiratory um, you know, a, a root. What has surprised us about the virus is it's not necessarily just um, respiratory droplets, like in a sneeze or a cough. This virus um, is able to um, transmit in air. It's not necessarily airborne, but it's able to travel on a very small, they're called bioaerosols. Um, meaning that um, it's not necessarily getting coughed on or sneezed on. The virus can hang in the air um, through, um, you know, the huffing and puffing of individuals, whether it's during play or singing or other types of physical activity. So um, when you're talking about players on the field, um, not wearing masks in close contact and um, really wafting by each other, uh, during play, um, that is a perfect storm of conditions uh, for the virus to spread on that particular field. What was hoped um, originally was, okay, well, if you got people on there who have been tested for symptoms or uh, tested for the virus um, at play, uh, they would have low risk of being able to um, uh, uh, transmit the virus amongst its amongst themselves. As it turns out, um, it is a perfect environment uh, for the uh, virus to spread. Now, when you turn to the NHL, the reason why the cold and flu season comes up, uh, especially in uh, northern environments, is that as the air turns cold, colder and drier, and we uh, return indoors um, and congregate more closely, whether it's a family or a set of uh, friends and family or a sports organization, the virus is going to be able to get amongst us easily because we're closer together. But more importantly, it's able to travel on air currents and survive in this aerosol um, means of spread uh, for longer periods of time. In fact, there's a CDC case study uh, out just a few weeks ago where a super spreader event occurred at a hockey game where all, um, other, um, all other precautions had been taken, no masks on the ice, uh, but the play was where the infection spread from one individual uh, to the majority of the other players on that uh, rink because of the cold, dry air, the exertion of the players, and the fact that they're really uh, skating by each other and have a contact uh, play throughout that period for that amount of time. So the NHL has to consider those uh, types of mechanisms of spread that we now have evidence of in terms of the risk of those uh, players 
uh, on the ice or in any other uh, league. Um, with the, uh, the football examples that we were just talking about, um, with the Big Ten plan to return to play and the, MF and, and the uh, NFL return to play, um, yeah, some of those factors didn't exist in terms of, you know, cold, dry air um, and rink play. However, the Big Ten, for example, plan was designed to be very, very objective. It relied on cold, hard data in terms of um, how decisions would be made, whether to pause a play or to pause a team or to indeed uh, shut down the league if the uh, proportion of players or the proportion of people in their uh, delegations uh, rose beyond a um, certain level. Those were very, uh, um, those, those, those numbers were set in stone. So they were able to act objectively to revise their schedule and um, cancel games or reschedule them and react accordingly. The, N the NFL didn't have that type of component of it. So that's another lesson uh, to be learned uh, potentially by the NHL is how to design a plan uh, that is objective and driven by the data and includes um, the infection within the community and their delegates and how they're gonna react if that gets slightly out of control. Um, really, those are the difficult uh, bullet points of what this return to play plan for the next season has to uh, involve. Yeah. So there was a report today confirmed by the athletics, Pierre Lebrun, that four NHL teams uh, have looked at ways to play their home games outside. Yeah. Uh, Boston, Pittsburgh, and surprisingly Anaheim, Los Angeles. <laughs> um, and I, this, this stems uh, certainly towards trying to get people into their, uh, their, their games to, to charge uh, tickets. Uh, the in football stadiums, these massive football stadiums. I think Cleveland's allowed five thousand fans. Some places they've allowed ten thousand fans. They're spaced out uh, throughout the the football stadium. I believe these are all roofless uh, football stadiums, not domes. Right? It, is there any way that the NHL could have limited fans in attendance, spaced uh, from section to section, without the vaccine having taken hold? So the short answer to that, um, and you know, I'm as disappointed as, as the next person is right now, absolutely not. Um, the presence of this virus in our community um, might mean that every one in 100 or one in every 200 um, people that attend that event um, at any capacity are going to be infected, whether they know it or not. Now that might be uh, fine uh, with the standard precautions and um, you know, sitting in the stands uh, far away from the next group of people. Um, but time and time again, what we've seen is that may not be where they transmit the infection. It is getting to the stadium, uh, public transit, um, going through the turnstiles, um, using uh, public uh, bathrooms and public facilities. You cannot guarantee the safety of those fans um, with that type of plan. Not now. Maybe, you know, as we went through the troughs of these uh, surges where the uh, case numbers, um, the test positivity rates um, were at its, uh, at, at, its, um, at its trough, at the lowest um, levels. Uh, 
especially in Ohio. Ohio, you know, has has turned its uh, um, surges around a couple times. We know how to do that. But right now, um, the virus is way too prevalent in the community to consider um, gathering people, um, whether it's just the team and it's coach staff and managers, um, but certainly not um, the people um, that would come uh, to see the game. To me, that is a level of risk um, that we cannot uh, uh, take right now. So um, where's where's the bright spot of this? Um, again, it's flexibility with that plan um, and objectivity in implementing it and the right timing. Can we get past the holidays uh, coming up um, and get past our peak in January and February? You know, we have to be looking at that data very closely. I don't think we will be past our peak this time uh, until, um, you know, well into January, maybe into February. The holidays are going to cause a shoulder or a repeak um, of cases. Um, we know that for sure. We've seen them with each, each major holiday, including Thanksgiving. Um, in Canada, that was especially true because they had it earlier in the fall and there was a uptick in cases. Um, we have to get past this third surge to even consider bringing um, uh, fans back into the stands. Um, and again, and we should talk about that next, um, until this herd immunity is grown um, properly uh, with this mass rollout of a vaccine. You're reading my mind, Dr. Cameron, that to that, you know, we, it's, we're in such a strange time, right? Because we know these surges are coming, and yet we know we're also so much closer to a vaccine. There's there's been talk of, and, and I've seen some even uh, event producers talking about, you know, you'll be able to come into our events when you can provide proof of having been vaccinated. And, and I remember having to do that for school when I was little, but right. what are the ethical considerations there? Is there precedence for something like that to, to almost, you have to prove that you've been vaccinated to almost return to the world, so to speak? Unfortunately, with this virus, um, having a uh, a vaccine card in your pocket um, is not proof of immunity, um, and and that is 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 the really perplexing, um, you know, aspect or phenomenon associated with this virus. So, whether or not um, this type of um, measure could be put in place, where like your driver's license, um, you know, has to be used you know, buying a case of beer at the uh, local mm -hmm. uh, Target, um, could you carry a I'm vaccinated card um, to show that you're immune and can uh, be part of that normal everyday activity of watching a game? And, and wouldn't that uh, be uh, nice at this point of the pandemic to say, okay, well, if we get the vaccine, uh, we can proceed knowing that we cannot be infected and we can proceed with uh, confidence. Unfortunately, that's not true. Um, it, the data uh, is not in our hands yet. Uh, we know the vaccine is safe and effective, um, but we don't know how long that immunity uh, could last. So if it gets to the point where, and the ethical questions are a whole uh, other um, 
you know, topic altogether in terms of people's personal health uh, information um, and whether, you know, you can enforce a policy uh, for people to declare uh, what their health status is um, for sporting events. That's a whole other uh, question. To me, it's moot because we don't know uh, whether somebody vaccinated, especially if they haven't had the boost. Um, the way that the vaccine mm. is given is with two injections spaced about three or four weeks a, uh, apart. Um, and whether, you know, they can actually prove immunity when uh, we know that that uh, could be in doubt long term following an infection. Um, that's just too high a burden, uh, in my opinion, uh, to put on people, to put on our health system, to prove that somebody is uh, making lots of antibodies, reacted well to the vaccine so that they are not at risk of being infected or carrying the infection further. We just know, don't know that um, at this point. Um, the other part of this discussion is when will um, us in the community uh, be able to get our vaccine? Right now, mm -hmm. um, they are very close in the U.S., uh, for the FDA to approve emergency use of these vaccines, which is kind of a unfortunate term, but basically that means um, that uh, people can be vaccinated outside of um, uh, you know, what they are now, which is in these phase three clinical trials. Um, the priorities set uh, so far is, okay, healthcare workers, um, people in long-term care facilities, i.e. the people that are most at risk right now of either um, getting and transmitting the virus because they care for patients or are most at risk of dying from the infections uh, like our elderly. Um, from there, the priorities go down. Basically, um, you know, the decade of age that you are uh, currently. So older individuals, whether they're in their 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, uh, will be the next uh, batch of folks that get it. The athletes we're talking about, um, our young adults, our teenagers, um, our, um, you know, the kind of core uh, either player or sports fan, um, they will be uh, last in line um, to get this virus, um, especially if there are, um, you know, difficulties in distributing the vaccine, and there may be given how these vaccines have to be uh, cared for and distributed. So while, you know, the people that are on the priority list um, may be seeing their vaccine um, starting very soon, um, but certainly by, you know, March, April, May, um, into the spring, uh, some of those priority groups will get their uh, vaccine. But for um, enough of us to get it, especially you know, healthy young adults, um, we're looking, you know, we might be looking at the late spring and summer. So how does that really interleave uh, with um, return to play, expecting um, that the virus uh, will be more at bay because of the end of this wave we're in or the vaccine being um, uh, generally available and people being generally immune? Um, it's still an open question. Um, you know, the, how short a season the NHL is willing to um, contemplate here um, really is, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, at issue. Um, you know, do we want a replay of last season or, 
you know, do we want to, um, you know, look at the data very closely and hope that we can start things up a little earlier? You see how complex this, uh, this, uh, you know, this, this plan has to be. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I remember reading about the 1918, the so-called Spanish flu, yeah. and the, the number of people that believed it uh, and electricity, by the way, the, the spread of electricity to the to parts of the country, yeah. to be the work of the devil, yeah. and would not wear a mask, would not, uh, what we now call socially distanced. And I remember thinking how silly that sounds and how ridiculous that sounds and how happy I, I, I was that it was a hundred years later and we wouldn't confront that sort of thing today. Right. Um, I guess what I'm asking you, doc is how are you holding up? Because there's, <laughs> it's gotta be a frustrating um, exercise to be on the front line and to have, to have dedicated your life to these things. And then when it, when it hits our shores in a way that it hits, it has hit other countries to have, I don't know what the number is, but it's too significant a number mm-hmm. of people who just flat reject um, what the things that we do know right. about it. How, how are you holding up with that? How are the people that, that you know, certainly who are on the front line, holding up with that? How difficult is it? Yeah. I mean, there's, there, first of all, there's exhaustion at all levels, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, frontline health, healthcare worker, and, and they're certainly taking the brunt of this. Um, but also researchers uh, trying to figure out a cure or um, these vaccines being developed or uh, better treatments uh, for uh, patients that, um, you know, uh, get infected right now. Um, In terms of public perception, um, you know, when SARS hit Toronto in 2003, it really was the only city outside of Southeast Asia that was impacted that way. So uh, for those of us that went through uh, SARS, then um, the impact, the fear, uh, the um, exhaustion that came along with, uh, you know, living with a virus like that, in your city, in your community, and the economic economic uh, impact of all of that was very real, and it stuck with um, a lot of us, and it's really been the impetus for our research uh, since then. So, you know, I can understand outside of that experience um, why, at least originally, um, the public may not have taken this um, virus as seriously um, as we should have, certainly. Um, different various levels of government didn't take it uh, seriously uh, either. And the messaging has been very 
uh, inconsistent. Um, but at this point, after you know two surges and now well into the uh, third and with um, you know tens of thousands of um, deaths um, occurring, uh, more being piled on uh, each and every day uh, with the science developed to the point that we're at now, um, even though we have a lot to learn with the knowledge of this virus that we have right now, I don't understand. Um, and it is, sim it, it is frustrating, um, you know, for me uh, to provide uh, advice and comments, uh, some of which have been, um, you know, quite, uh, you know, the, the worst case scenarios have uh, turned out to uh, come true. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't understand why there's still some, um, you know, re reluctance or disbelief in either what we can do about this virus or how serious this virus can be. Now, what it feels like right now um, in talking to my colleagues or talking to my neighbors or other members of the community looking online is this virus seems to be everywhere right now. Uh, so it is impacting um, more and more people until this virus hits home uh, for some individuals, um, you know, maybe it doesn't uh, seem as real, but that's what's happening now. And it's a shame. It really is. Um, and it's disappointing at all levels. Uh, not only, you know, for us wanting to be sports fans back in that, um, you know, arena, uh, watching our favorite players on the ice, uh, but also the simple matter of going out and having dinner uh, with our friends or gathering in the holidays, all of those things are off the table. Um, now, you know, back to the, um, the bright spot of all of this, um, despite that challenge, despite the pushback, um, despite uh, what's happening right now, uh, science is catching up and we know a lot about what we can do. Masks work, absolutely. The vaccine will be on hand soon, absolutely. Um, we can treat patients better now, absolutely. The, 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 the apparent uh, case fatality rate of people uh, who get COVID-19 uh, has been going down uh, from its April uh, peak steadily. So we're doing better in terms of identifying people uh, who A, have the infection, B, need special care and getting them uh, the treatment they need more and more. But the cold heart data is still the cold heart data. This is a dangerous virus that's killing people. And really for me on the soapbox that I get on, and that's probably the wrong phrase to use because this is a real personal appeal uh, to me that every plan or return to daily activity, no matter how well intended causes cases. And the issue is whether that's a child in school, a varsity player, or uh, somebody in the NHL, that transmission map from one individual can go to two, can go to 10, and eventually get back to somebody who is vulnerable to that virus, whether having a comorbidity or being of a certain uh, age. And then somebody is either at risk of a very severe illness or at risk of dying. And that is the sobering fact for every return to play or return to normal activity type of plan, especially right now when we know cases are bound to occur 
um, either entering a bubble plan or occurring certainly outside of a bubble. So how do you balance all that? These are going to be very difficult decisions for these, um, you know, these organizations, these managers, and the people at the top, um, how to debate all of that. Dr. Cameron, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully we can talk again in five months when this is a a historical podcast, looking back on uh, the coronavirus, maybe not five months, that's perhaps a little aggressive, maybe in a year, uh, this will be behind us and we can study it in the rearview mirror. I really appreciate your time as always. And thank you uh, further for the work that you do. Uh, oh, you're welcome. And, and and thanks for having me. You know, for me, it's always been um, getting good information uh, out there and you've helped a lot with that. Uh, misinformation, as you said, has, has spread as fast or faster than um, good information. Um, and getting the science out there and, and, and um, into these uh, plans is, is really the goal here. We have to, we have to get past this because the economic pain that we're having right now would be that much worse if we can't get this virus under control. Excellent. Thanks so much for your time, Doc. Thank you.